Well, hello, this is the Trophy Room, aka Trophy Room Radio. I am your host, Brett Hammer, wherever you are on this Monday. Thanks for making me part of your day. Welcome to 2024. Coming up, we have a title to talk about tonight in college football. So let's finally give Washington the credit they so well deserve. Plus, which coaches have been fired in the NFL and who still should be. And the Bills and Eagles are trending in opposite directions, and I'm going to tell you why. Thank you guys so much for all being here. I know we've been gone three weeks, I think, now. I went home, had a little vacation, did some more wedding planning, came home. I got home last Sunday, had a rehearsal dinner Monday, and then got married Tuesday morning, and I've been gone. And then I was back at work on Saturday. So... I appreciate you all who are finally getting back into the swing of things, giving me some grace as I've been gone. Uh, It's an adjustment living with a woman for sure. I have more stuff in my apartment than I've obviously ever owned in my entire life. The closet is not big enough. Um, There's boxes everywhere, still boxes coming. Any of you who've bought us a wedding gift, thank you. There will be uh, a thank you card. Yeah, I have already broken multiple glass things because as a single man who owns glass anything, um, I broke one this morning. I've yet to tell Jaden. So, um, yeah, learning how to be married. That is uh, a skill and there's lots of things that no one can teach you about being married until you just, you finally do it. Um, we've missed so much together. I ended up missing, um, I honestly, I missed both college football playoff games because we had my rehearsal dinner and then we had my bachelor party. So we got to watch the second half of Texas, Washington. So I realized that's where we're going to go first today. So we'll get to that. And don't worry, I've done my homework, went back and watched the games. But before we get into any of that, This is nowhere on the rundown. I just decided that I wanted to do it. Um, Let's go and give some credit. Give not all the credit in the world, but a large amount to the Baltimore Ravens and to Lamar Jackson. I am someone who believes in a couple of things. First of all, you get new information, I think you can change your opinion. Second of all, If I'm wrong about something, I sure as heck want to get on the right side as soon as possible. So let's get right about Lamar Jackson, and let's get right about the Baltimore Ravens. First of all, hiring Todd Munkin was, I mean, we said this. I told you Todd Munkin was going to be a great play caller for the Baltimore Ravens. He really merged the rush, 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 and the... The offense that they already had combined with this is how you take a mobile quarterback, keep him mobile in the pass game, and make him successful. And Todd Munkin has done that for this Ravens offense. But even more than that, more than just the offense, and more than just the fact that their running backs are seemingly more injury prone than any group of any position in the entire National Football League, and they still win games, win games. 
to the point where they have the best record in the entire National Football League. They lost one road game this season. One road game they lost. And they are number one in net points. Net points being how many points you scored subtracted by how many points you allowed. The Baltimore Ravens are number one. They are, they are the only team over 200 points in net points. There are only five teams who are over 100. Even Kansas City is not over that mark. The Browns aren't over that mark. The Rams aren't over that mark. The Texans. Most team in terms of net points, it's very close. There's teams that made the playoffs that have a negative net points. But, before, but, but on top of all of that, I said when Lamar Jackson was coming for this contract, he wanted to be the highest paid guy in sports. He had no agent. There was some weightlifter in Florida in a, in a swamp somewhere who was negotiating for him. It was this whole weird deal. And now we have seen Lamar Jackson earn every one of those dollars. He's yet to win a playoff game. Obviously, this season. But they are the number one seed in the AFC. And they're going to get a first round bye. This is one of the best teams in the NFL that no one talks about because we kind of wrote the Ravens off. And we were wrong for that. And what I respect most about the Ravens is that they don't care whether or not we care. And Lamar Jackson is the same way. He doesn't care whether or not we care. We all made fun of him. I did for a lot of different things about how he went about getting this contract done. We never thought it would happen. I said that I didn't think that he was worth it. Boy, was I wrong. Because when Mark Andrews got injured, when running backs were injured, when Odo Beckham was up and down, Guess who was maintained consistency the whole time? Lamar Jackson. I was wrong, okay? And I am happy to have been wrong because Lamar Jackson has earned every penny that he was paid. All right. We have a national championship to talk about tonight. And as a man who I as a man who has been adopted by Washington, and more importantly, by Seattle. I went to Seattle. Um, you all hear me talk about my family that's from Seattle. Um, my uncle and his brother, who I feel like is also my uncle, even though he's not biologically related to me, Aaron. They took me and my brother to Seattle this year. We got to go to a Seahawks game. We got to go to a Mariners game. We got to see UW. So much fun. That won't play into any bias here, but I do want to say that when you meet people from Washington and then you see these teams, you realize that Washington sports are severely undercovered and disrespected. And nobody talks about Washington. And I've said that I think the undercoverage alone is the reason that Washington isn't the number one team in the country right now. I believe they're better than Michigan. At least I believe their resume says so. They played eight games this season. Where the team eight ranked games 
this season. They beat everybody. They dropped a ridiculous amount of points. Michael Penix leads all of college football in passing yards. They beat Oregon twice. An Oregon team who we all said, well, they beat Oregon the first time, but they won't beat Oregon again because Oregon is that good. They beat Oregon again. Every single time we've said, well, we don't know if Washington can do this. Well, they don't play defense. We don't know if they can do this. You know what? Washington may not have the number one defense in the country. But all I know is defense was the last stand against Texas. And that defense held up. Adane Mitchell did everything he could to score and get Texas ahead. And the Washington secondary held up. The pass rush held up. Now, you got Washington playing against Michigan. The number one scoring defense in all the land. The Wolverines. And that's where things get interesting. It's easy to pick a national champion when you have a Georgia or an Alabama who for the most part has blown everyone out all season. And Michigan and Washington are similar but different in that they're both winning convincingly but differently. Washington just gets into a shootout with you and they will win the shootout every time. Michigan says, hey, we'll score enough but we'll hold you to nothing. And so neither one of these teams is blowing people out. In fact, Washington, since September, every single one of those games has been a one-possession or a two-possession game. Two of the games have been two-possession. Everything else since September has been a one-possession game. Not to say that Washington's not good, because they are, but also Washington's defense is not the number one in the country. But that's okay. They're not trying to hang their hat there. So the question that we have to ask is, and this is where this is where I people are going to get into the schemes and the A-gap and, and whether or not they're running Tampa 2 and cover 4 and all these things. I'm not going to get into that with you. The question that you have to ask is, do you trust a quarterback who many NFL scouts are saying is one of the best passers we've ever seen, who against all the odds moved on from IU where he beat Penn State in an unbelievable fashion, transfers over to Washington uh, to a a Pac-12 that was dead, and then leads the entire country in passing yards. Against a Michigan team who is nothing to slouch at either. Michigan, fun fact, has beat in the last five, six weeks, has beat three of the top four scoring defenses in college football. And the only reason they haven't beat four out of the four top defenses is because they're one of them. Scoring defense in college football goes like this. Michigan 1, Ohio State 2, Penn State 3, Iowa 4. Big 10, you got it. 
So Michigan is giving up 10 points a game. Washington is giving you a scoring 37.6 points per game. And someone is going to give. And this is where, to me, this is where it comes down. I believe that in the Alabama, uh, Alabama Michigan game, Michigan played outside of their normality. Whereas the Washington Texas game, Washington didn't have to change a whole lot. Washington was who we thought they were. Whereas Michigan gave us a little bit cause for concern. If you were a Michigan fan or if you were rooting against Alabama, ding ding ding, that would have been me. You were worried that Alabama was going to win this game. And if that's the case, then you know Washington right now seems to be A, playing with house money, but B, just more believable, frankly, because nobody stopped them from doing what they do. Whereas Michigan was stopped a couple of times. And here's the other issue with Michigan. And not to say that it it's a downfall. But J.J. McCarthy, in his last five games, he's had one game where he completed over 17 passes. Penn State, he completed seven passes. Maryland, he completed 12 passes. Ohio State, 16 passes. And Alabama, 17 passes. Iowa completed 22. But even in that game, completed more passes than any of his previous five games. Scored zero touchdowns. And also, if you remember the Michigan game, J.J. McCarthy started off the game with a pick that was given back to them. And the point I make to you there is which one of these quarterbacks is more warmed up The answer is Michael Penix. And we talk about big games. You pick quarterbacks. That's who you trust, right? The best player on the field. Michael Penix is more warmed up, more ready for this game, less worried about this game than J.J. McCarthy. And not to say that J.J. McCarthy isn't great, because he is. But the heat check and the familiarity and the time that's going to take for him to get ready in-game, I'm giving that edge to Michael Penix. Every day of the week this week. Because he's ready. J.J. McCarthy may need a quarter to get in. So then we ask. Can Washington slow down Blake Corum and this Michigan Wolverine run game that they have held their hat so highly on all season? And that to me is where the game comes down to. I think this game turns just into a slugfest. One of those great boxing matches where either one can go down at any second and it is haymakers all night. I mean, that's what we're all hoping for, right? I hope Michigan runs for a bazillion yards and I hope Michael Panics passes for just as many. And I hope this thing comes down to the last possession. Here's where I'm worried, though. Because... While I'm a realistic optimist, I'm also a realist. And I know, as much as you do, that the last couple years, when we've had national championships, when we've had these 14 playoffs, we got three total games, 
two of the games are lights out instant classics. One of them is a bust. And last year it was the national championship. And I pray to the high heavens that that is not this year. I hope this year we get everything that we were wanting. We get Michael Penix throwing for 450. We get Blake Corum going off for 203 touchdowns. And J.J. McCarthy making ridiculous throws. I hope that happens. But we shall see. I did hear someone today say, well, Kalen DeBoer is a college coach. Jim Harbaugh is a pro coach. He said, give me, give me Jim Harbaugh because he's an NFL guy. I don't, need, I don't need a college guy. Um, I, I understand that playing at the next level is about playing at the next level. But also, there's a reason that Chip Kelly was lights out in the college game and not a whole lot at the next level. Guys are great where that. There's a reason Nick Saban's here and not great in the NFL. Give me Kalen DeBoer as far as coaching in this game. Not because Jim Harbaugh isn't great, but because Kalen DeBoer has been drawing up plays like Andy Reid all season that you just you can't game plan for because you've never seen it before. And that's why I want to take Washington in this game over Michigan. But we'll get back to Michigan a little bit later. Bill Belichick and the Patriots. It's the end of the season. It's the end of the regular season, which means it's time to start talking about which coaches are fired, who's getting hired, and who's on the hot seat. Bill Belichick, a lot of people believe, should be on the hot seat. First time since 2000, they finished last in their division. Now, there's still meetings left to be had in New England, but as of right now, as of when I'm recording this, Bill Belichick has not yet been fired. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. A couple speculation, a little speculation on that. A lot of people think, well, the Patriots are trying to get compensation. They're not just going to let Bill walk. But if you listen to Bill Belichick's press conference, he had something interesting to say. He said, I'm still under contract. Yikes. When you're married to someone, I'm assuming, I'm no expert on marriage. But if you are with your guy, if you're with one of your boys, you know that him and his girl or him and his guy, you know the two are struggling. And he says, well, I still got a marriage certificate. Excuse me? That is the last straw. If you say, hey, I'm still technically under contract. Contracts are the mud, sod, and dirt underneath a great foundation of a great house. If the house isn't there, it's just grass. If the house is there, it's a home. And if you're saying, I'm, ju- I'm still technically under contract... All you're saying is there's grass on the ground and it's not cement or water. Not a whole lot of substance to that conversation. So when Bill Belichick says in his press conference this morning, I'm still technically under contract, that means Bill no longer feels 100% absolutely in control. And that is where things get scary. 
Now, the question is, should anyone want Bill Belichick? The answer is no. First of all, if you have to pay to go out and get him, absolutely not. Second of all, what has Bill Belichick done without Tom Brady? And I'm not, I'm not saying Bill Belichick is nothing. But what is Bill Belichick without Tom Brady? Nothing. Other than a really great defensive coordinator. Just in the same way that Lincoln Riley is not a great head coach. He's a great offensive coordinator. Robert Sala, great defensive coordinator. Guess what? The NFL, moving towards offense. So Bill Belichick, the demand for your job, it's down. Supply, maybe there, maybe not. San Francisco seems to be putting out a new defensive coordinator into a head coaching position between D'Amico Ryans and Robert Sala. We'll see who's next. But either way, why would anyone want Bill Belichick when the league is clearly moving towards offense and to get him, you'd have to give something up. And on top of all of that, he wants to keep his hand on personnel because he's a control freak who only wants to do things how he wants to do things, which most successful people, that's how they operate. But Bill Belichick is no longer successful. Think about it like this. Remember in the heyday of Jay-Z and Beyonce, they were not a power couple. They were the power couple. Look at Kim Kardashian and Kanye. What are Jay-Z and Beyonce today? As far as star power, as far as magnitude, not talking about the businesses they own or their net worth or the revenue that's coming in from all their other ventures. We know that. As far as you looking at People Magazine in the grocery store tomorrow, where are Jay-Z and Beyonce? They're a power couple. They're gone. If they split up, what are Jay-Z and Beyonce? Uh, huge residual checks? Sure. But star power today? No. Bill Belichick without Tom Brady? Their time has come and gone. And so it's hard because when, as if you're Robert Kraft, you're looking at this saying, I want to win today. But also, you let Tom walk out the door when Tom wanted to walk out the door. I get that Tom is a different personality than Bill Belichick. But you have to look at this and say, the man brought you seven Super Bowls. The man is one of the winningest coaches in the sport. The man is one of the greatest defensive minds we have ever seen neutralized the likes of the bullies in Baltimore, Peyton Manning, and a number of other absolute legends. In the same way that Michael Jordan held back Sean Kemp, Gary Payton, uh, Charles Barkley, Clyde Drexler, Carl Malone, John Stockton from winning championships. Yeah, Bill did that too. It sucks because you want to win today. And it sucks because you know that Bill's time is over. But the question that you have to ask is, what do you owe him? 
And to me, that's not a question that I can answer. It's not a question that you can answer. It's only a question that Robert Kraft can answer. All right, NFL playoffs. The more interesting story. The Bills are trending up. I have a lot of principles in life. I have a lot of ways of looking at the world that probably are crazy, but they're di- however you feel about them, they're different than how everyone else looks at the world. The first thing is life is about looking. Success is based upon expectations. You see the all the Amazon AWS stats when you're watching the NFL games, expected yards. Yeah, that Devon A-chain play was cool, but it's even cooler because you realize it had a 0.7% chance of scoring a touchdown. Our expectations for the Bills, mine preseason, I said they wouldn't win their division, and I also said they wouldn't make the playoffs. Guess what? I was wrong about both of those things, and I'm happy to own up to it because I like Josh Allen. But my criticism of, of him all year has been what? If you listen to me, you know. My criticism of Josh Allen all year has been, how does Josh Allen handle adversity? Look at him pre-interception and post-interception. And usually, the longer he goes in a game without turning the ball over, usually they win those games. The difference came yesterday against the Miami Dolphins. Two picks. Guess what? Josh Allen balled out the rest of the game to a fashion I didn't even realize was he was capable of. I, I didn't even realize the stat line. Do you guys realize that Josh Allen, stat line last night, 79% completion, 359 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. That's pretty good. Also, he only has four more picks than Patrick Mahomes and more touch, more total touchdowns by a mile. Josh Allen has thrown an interception in all but three games this year. That's not going away. But Josh Allen is trending up. Josh Allen making good decisions the last few games. They're trending in the right direction, but the question will be, which completion percentage of Josh Allen are you getting? Because it's pretty directly tied. It's directly tied to the wins. Told you, you completed 79% yesterday. Week before that, he was 50% against the Patriots. When they play the Chargers, 71%. Against the Cowboys, 47%. Chiefs, 55%. Eagles, 57%. Jets, 63%. Josh Allen's completion percentage is all over the place. So, if you want to know whether or not the Bills are going to win this week, this weekend, the question that you really have to ask is how many passes is Josh Allen completing? And normally I'd say, yeah, the Steelers aren't that good. Offense is resurging the last few weeks, but nobody's worried about the Steelers going into the playoffs. Here's the Bills' silver lining. Because otherwise I would say they're on upset alert. Steelers always hang their hat on defense. 
TJ Watt likely not going to play because of an MCL sprain. Won't play on Saturday. Which means, theoretically, Josh Allen should make better decisions because he won't have to move as much. But I do think it's worth noting, if Josh Allen's forced to move the ball earlier in the snap count, is he better off? Because it it just seems to me that when Josh Allen holds on to the football, that's when he makes some of his gutsiest decisions. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Bills are trending up. We'll see if it continues that way on Saturday. Okay, this, I am so excited to get to the story. Rookie of the year, CJ Stroud or BYU's own Puka Nakua. And this is the definition of a rock in a hard place. It sucks having to pick between Puka Nakua and CJ Stroud because they're both incredible stories and both show, just exude underdog energy. Puka Nakua, guy who was drafted in the fifth round, never played a fully healthy season in college, had all the talents, but just could never seem to hit the final gear to really solidify himself as an NFL wide receiver. Rams get him for almost nothing. Cooper Cup goes down at the beginning of the season. And Puka Nakua comes in and becomes the rookie leader in the NFL. For a number of single game and season categories, two of the most important ones being receptions and yards by a rookie in their first season. So shout out to Puka Nakua. But then you flip, you turn the page to CJ Stroud. And C.J. Stroud's story is just as incredible. C.J. Stroud was the guy who we were all worried about because of, I can't remember, the the Wonderlick test. Some test preseason that he scored abnormally low on. And many of us said, hey, doesn't mean everything, but it does mean something. And maybe it just means that C.J. Stroud is not that guy. And how dumb were we? Because at every stage, people said, I don't know about C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud, in a playoff game, without Marvin Harrison, beat the Georgia Bulldogs. And now you're saying, oh no, Georgia won that game. Dude, if you watch that game, Ohio State missed a field goal. C.J. Stroud won. The rest, the kicker might have lost, the team might have lost, but C.J. Stroud won. He beat an entire defense of first-round draft picks without Marvin Harrison at the end of that game. C.J. Stroud at every stage of the game. Then he goes to the Texans, the most dysfunctional franchise in the entirety of the National Football League. Seemingly, until he gets there, D'Amico Ryans gets there, Will Anderson gets there, Nico Collins gets there, Tank Dell gets there. Oh, shoot. They can win games, and not only can they win games, they can win the division. And not only can they win the division, they're in the playoffs now. C.J. Stroud is in the playoffs now. Over 5,000 yards of total offense, over 4,000 yards passing, throws for how many picks? Guess how many? Five. And he's an incredible story. Father is incarcerated, gives glory to God after every game. Never talks too much, never talks too loud, never gets too upset. 
just plays football. And then, oh yeah, makes these ridiculous fadeaway 360 no-scope throws that if Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen made, we would be talking about them as some of the greatest plays of the entire season. That's C.J. Stroud. So, we're in the scenario where we're not even we're not splitting like hairs on your head that for me are a little bit thicker and may start to thin out here soon. We're talking about splitting like a hair on your arm. The tiniest sliver, the ones that you can't even see, they're so small. To me, this is one of the most fun stories of the entire season. Is who's the rookie of the year? Texans quarterback CJ Stroud or BYU wide receiver Puka Nakua? I want to say I have a ton of respect for Puka Nakua. Um, I don't know him personally. I have only heard great things. Only heard great things. I've been around people who've been around him. Um, Puka did not like school at all. And who does? But Puka was really not about school. And there's when you when you become the kid who hates school and who doesn't do school, that's not a great group to get roped in with. Because a lot of those kids are busts in life. But there are some people who don't do school because they have another passion they would rather vehemently pursue. And that man is Puka Nakua. Whenever people are like, oh, I don't want to do school. I'm going to go do summer sales and make 300K. And then I'm going to become this big real estate developer. All right, dude. How about, how about you worry about getting a C plus in your business class? Or, or even showing up on time to your job and then worry about being CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Puka didn't like school, but Puka loves football and he works at it so hard. And so I have so much respect for him for that. And I don't want to do this. This is no slight to Puka. But if we have to split hairs, this is where I think you do it. I think, I don't like it, but I think you have to say, what does Matt Stafford have in common with Puka Nakua, Cooper Cup, and Calvin Johnson? He was their quarterback every single year. They broke a receiving yards record. Not to say that Puka isn't great because Puka is incredible what i love about puka is that while what i love about jerry rice at least when when people talk about jerry rice my favorite thing they say is he's not that fast it doesn't out make sense how he never got caught and with puka it's the same way puka people had a problem with because he ran a four five six forty but somehow, Puka is top 10 receiver in the league. He didn't get caught. Doesn't have all of the draft combine or the NFL combine accolades that you want him to have, yet you still can't guard him. But I do think if we have to split hairs, you have to say, Matt Stafford's done this twice before, now three times. And also, love it or hate it, NFL, it's a league 
about quarterbacks. And C.J. Stroud coming in here with all of the doubts. Everyone saying that Bryce Young was going to be the guy. I mean, look at it seriously. If you if I told you before the season started, you can go to Houston or you can go to Carolina. You can be a Panther, you can be Texan, where do you want to go? A lot of people are saying they want to be a Panther, and I'm with that. I would have said I wanted to be a Panther because at least the Panthers seem to have some resemblance of recent success not tied to uh, a serial sex addict. I shouldn't say that, maybe, but the point remains. Outside of Deshaun Watson, what success have the Texans ever had? The Panthers have at least been to a Super Bowl in the last 10, 15 years. Texans got nothing to show for it. And CJ Stroud goes there and takes them to the playoffs his rookie year with no serious weapon. D-Hop's not there. Uh... There's, there's there's no Jadavian Clown here. There's no J.J. Watt. It is just C.J. Stroud. And for those reasons, I hate it. But I think C.J. Stroud's got to be Rookie of the Year. And Puka Nakua will come in second. But if either one, as long as one of them wins, I'm happy. And I don't care. Uh, this was a funny story yesterday. I guess maybe not that funny, depending on how you feel about it. Falcons, Saints, trying to make a push a push for the playoffs, the Saints are. And it's a shootout the whole game through. End of the game, Saints are in victory formation. Jameis is the quarterback. They're at the one-yard line, which is a crazy place to be in victory formation, by the way. Jameis calls an audible. Hands the ball off to the running back out of victory formation. They score a touchdown. Arthur Smith is pissed at the end of the game. Coaches are coming to shake hands and hug. And Arthur Smith lays on the expletives to Saints coach Dennis Allen. What Arthur Smith didn't know, Jameis Winston in his uh, interviews post-game said that that was an audible they called as a team within the huddle. Now, maybe he's just saving his coach. And if he is, respectable. Also, not a great look. It's one thing for the, the team to call it. It's another thing for you to be the face of it and say it was a team decision within the huddle. Now, all of that being said, I think it's dumb to be in victory formation at the one-yard line. Just punch the sucker in. Who cares? But second of all... And more importantly, Arthur Smith, the head coach of the Falcons, was pissed because he didn't feel like it was fair for them to score at the end of the game. The fact that they scored at the end of the game doesn't bother me. The fact that they scored out of victory formation is where I have a serious problem. Because if it's victory formation, you know the deal. It's it's similar to when Kenny Pickett did the fake slide. It's similar to... Um, that high school video of a guy faking an injury, running off the field, and then running around to score a touchdown. You do violate some of the decency within the game. 
I don't have an issue running up the score. It is not my problem running up the score. It's your problem. If you don't like it, stop it. And so that's why I have an issue with people who didn't see the game. They just say, oh, well, it's so unfair that the Saints were running up the score. And and Arthur Smith has every right to be upset. Arthur Smith isn't upset because they scored. He's upset because they scored out of victory formation, which he's fair in doing because you are violating an unwritten rule of the game, which is there are a couple of plays that everyone unanimously respects and understands. You violated one. And for those reasons, I get it. All right. Reports out of Michigan are that if Harbaugh wins tonight, he could be out and on to the NFL, which makes a lot of sense. The NCAA is not super happy with him. Michigan wasn't happy with him. Now they're saying they are, but let's be honest. The spotlight he put on, they're not thrilled about. All of those things surmising to Jim Harbaugh feels absolutely disrespected and wants to get back to the league to win a Super Bowl. Jim Harbaugh is a weird guy. I read his some of his interviews this morning. He said, it's really important to win this tonight so that my kids and my wife can say that their husband and father is a national championship, a national champion. He said, I'm not worried about being a national champion, but I want my family to be able to say that they're related to a national champion, which... I actually feel like it's the least important thing. Uh, I, I don't really care that my wife knows that she's married to a guy who's on TV. I hope she knows that she's married to a guy who loves her. I don't really think the, the, the professional accolade is worth a whole lot to her, and nor should it really be. But I digress. Whatever, However you want to feel about Jim Harbaugh, he's a great coach. But the question is, what will Jim Harbaugh's college legacy be? Well... We can look at it a couple of ways. First of all, in 2020, we were all ready to say, let's move off Jim Harbaugh. There was talks about who they would go out and get, whether or not he would really be able to handle Ohio State going forward. And we know how that went. An Ohio State team that every year is typically more talented than Michigan. Let's be honest, at least offensively. They always have a first-round left tackle. Always got a first-round quarterback, Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud. Always have three first-round receivers. Always a top-three team in college football, and Jim Harbaugh beats them every time. Jim Harbaugh makes the playoffs three times, gets blown out the first two, makes it to the national championship on the third time. And then this last year, supposedly, allegedly, Michigan gets caught cheating. It's still left to the unknown how much Michigan really knew, how much Jim Harbaugh really knew about what was going on with Connor Stallions. Um, I don't think you knew nothing, but I also think if you knew something was going on, you'd say, give me plausible deniability and do what you got to do. But there are some who want to say, oh, well, his, his, his legacy is tarnished. He cheated. Well... Okay, let's walk down that theory. Hey, remember Bounty Gate? For those of you who don't remember, there was a point in which the New Orleans Saints and Sean Payton were incentivizing players to injure 
great offensive players to take them out of the game. There were incentives in their contract that they would get if they took offensive weapons out of the game. You remember Sean Payton for that? I don't. Hey, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, how much do you think about Deflategate on a daily basis if you're not a Colts fan? I don't. And they won championships afterwards, so cheating wasn't what got them there. Helped, but it wasn't what got them there. Houston Astros, we take their championships away? I don't think so. As much as we hate these teams for cheating, cheating didn't get them there. And if we're being honest about it, I had this conversation with a friend the other day. I said, how many Fortune 500 companies do you think are in some way committing white-collar crime, small or large, daily? My buddy who works in finance, he said, almost every Fortune 500 company. It's not an allegation. It's not an attack. But it's just the idea that most people in life, if they can get an advantage, will take an advantage. And I don't disrespect it at all. But let's be honest. Michigan's not the one cheating. You ever find it interesting? The Texans don't get caught cheating. Texans got caught for Deshaun Watson, but it had no effect on their performance. You remember the Browns getting caught for cheating? Charlotte Hornets getting caught for cheating? No. Because they don't care about the losers in life who get caught cheating. It's about the winners who we care about because that's the bigger story. It's the easier way to say, oh, well, that's the reason they won. Well, if that's the case, then how come Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time and one of the greatest professional athletes ever? It's because he was good. It's not about cheating. Jim Harbaugh didn't win because he cheated. He won because he found ways to exploit advantages And because he was winning, they wanted him gone. Because he doesn't get along super well with everybody, because he ruffles feathers a little bit, they want him gone. And frankly, NCAA, if they wanted to make an enemy out of Jim Harbaugh, they did not do a good job at it. Because in this story, this fairy tale, you have the hero and the villain. And sometimes the the hero is not the really great guy. Sometimes the hero is the person who is more wronged by the other. I don't know if Jim Harbaugh is a saint in all of this, but the NCAA certainly did not teach the, uh, teach the story in a way that made them look like saints. They already looked like the bad guy, and they only played into that role. They thought they made it look better by coming after Jim Harbaugh. They didn't help their case. All of that is to say, if Jim Harbaugh wins and leaves tonight, to me that would be pretty storybook for the Michigan Wolverines and Jim Harbaugh as he comes back to the NFL trying to win another Super Bowl. Let's pick the playoffs before we get out of here. I know this has been a long episode. I know you guys have been usually be getting the 20, 30 minutes, which that may continue because for some reason I'm still in college. I have classes Mondays and Wednesdays. At 9 a.m. So we may do more of the driving down deal, but we shall see. Let's pick the playoffs, though. Pull up the bracket. All right, wild card. Browns, Texans. 
Joe Flacco is looking like the comeback player of the year. I'm not sure why DeMar Hamlin is even still in the NFL. I'm so happy he's alive and well, but he has no bearing as far as football goes. Um, This Cleveland Browns defense is so tough to move the football against. But also, C.J. Stroud has defied everything we thought we knew about the game to this point. So give me the Texans to play in the divisional against the Ravens. Dolphins, Chiefs. Ooh. Tyreek Hill coming back to play Kansas City at Arrowhead. Tuatunga Vailoa, the NFL leader in passing yards. Try to get Jalen Waddle back. Try to get uh, Raheem Mostert back. This will be the duel of the offenses. But Chris Jones will wreak havoc. And for those reasons, I don't think you can stop Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes plays his first playoff game as not being the one seed. Patrick Mahomes wins this game. Then you get Bills Steelers. Give me the Bills. I don't think the Steelers have enough firepower, especially not with no quarterback and a new offense. So you got Bills, Chiefs in the AFC. You get Texans, Ravens in the AFC. Give me the Ravens against the Texans. The C.J. CJ Stroud story will run out. It's a great story to tell. But Lamar Jackson is looking for nothing but a Super Bowl. He said it when he got drafted. He's going to the AFC Championship game. Then, Chiefs. Bills. As a man who has been owned by the Alabama Crimson Tide as a Georgia fan for my entire life, I want the Bills to win this game. I really do. The Bills are technically a higher seed than the Chiefs. But I just think Travis Kelsey will find a way to be unguardable. They will find a way. The Chiefs will find a way to throw off Josh Allen. The Chiefs will play the Ravens in the AFC Championship. Then, the Chiefs limping around will finally catch up with them. The Baltimore Ravens will be fresh and dominant, and the Ravens will make the Super Bowl out of the AFC. Then we go over to the NFC. Wild card, you get Eagles, Bucks. This one is going to be way more fun than you think it will because we will get a resurgence of Big bad boy Baker Mayfield. Him and Mike Evans are going to have a good old time throwing for whatever they want against this struggling Eagles secondary. Despite the push from Baker, the Eagles will sneak out of this game probably by three-ish points just to get absolutely demolished by the San Francisco 49ers in the divisional. Then you will have Rams-Lions. How crazy is it that just... Two seasons ago, we swapped Matt Stafford for Jared Goff straight up. And now, Matt Stafford is coming home to Detroit to play where he was the prodigal son there for a long time. And now they're going to have to root against him, despite the fact that Detroit was rooting for him in the Super Bowl just two seasons ago. This one is going to be so much fun. You'll have the fighting Dan Campbells. You have Puka Nakua, Cooper Cup. You have just 
you can't write a storybook ending this good. But I think for the first time in Ford Field, the Detroit Lions get a win and move on to the next round. Then you get Packers-Cowboys. Packers-Cowboys is tied for the most common matchup in the playoffs in the Super Bowl era. This Packers offense is humming. Jordan Love is one of the was is a top 10 passing leader in the NFL this season. Dak Prescott is playing like an MVP. CeeDee Lamb feels severely disrespected as a receiver in this league. This thing will be close, but the Dallas Cowboys will pull it out and blow out the Green Bay Packers on their way to the divisional where they will meet up with the Detroit Lions. And this is where things get really fun because this is just old NFL classics, Cowboys, Lions. It's gritty. It's fun. Give me the Cowboys against the Lions in a close one that ends in the 20-pointers. Then you have San Francisco and Philadelphia. And for a long time, I've been the guy that says, when teams play twice that are non-divisional teams, it's hard to win both those games. But I just don't see, and I love the Eagles. You know I love the Eagles. But I just don't see any way. If you couldn't move the ball against the Giants yesterday, Philadelphia, there's no way you're moving the ball against the San Francisco 49ers. Then you get San Francisco, a rematch, San Francisco-Dallas in the NFC Championship. And I think this is San Francisco season. It's not super common that both one seeds make it. But I think this is the year... The San Francisco 49ers finally get back to the Super Bowl in a similar fashion to the way they made it back with Jimmy G. Just a couple inches shorter with Brock Purdy. They beat Dallas in a hard-fought game. Dallas does not choke. San Francisco is just the better team. And then we get Ravens-Niners. We've seen this one before. Brock Purdy was thrown off, and even if Brock Purdy had played his best game, I still think the Ravens win that one. I think Brock Purdy plays a better game this game than he did last time, but I believe that Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens come out on top. They are your Super Bowl champions for 2023. We will see how this goes. We got a lot of fun matchups to look forward to this weekend. We will talk again on Wednesday. Thank you guys so much for rolling with me, giving a couple breaks to get married and take a vacation. I appreciate it. Talk Wednesday. Cheers. Ooh.